Isaiah chapter 9. I, after a lot of uh, thinking and praying and thinking and praying, want to launch out into what's going to probably be a long study. We try to really lay out the books of the Bible and really try to lay out a, a framework and a groundwork so you could really navigate your Bible. Um, something I've never done so methodically. My goal is not to be at like an institute level or even the discipleship level. So uh, you take the book of Genesis, for instance, you could spend probably six months just teaching on Genesis days and days and days. I might try to do it in a week or two at the most because I just want to kind of give like a periphery skeletal understanding of the book so when you navigate through it, you could start to see things and have a frame of reference. And I want to start tonight with the big picture. Um, I was thinking about putting the Bible together was a lot like putting a puzzle together. I've used that analogy before. I've heard it used with me before. And I am not a puzzle person. I don't like putting puzzles together. My wife does. My sons do. But when you put a puzzle together, I've watched them long enough to know this, that you have to see the big picture to make sense of all the individual pieces. Right, I mean, I was going to bring a, 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 I was going to bring a puzzle with me tonight, but I would out myself as a Star Wars nerd because I have all these Star Wars puzzles. But you know, when you're putting the puzzle together, you kind of put the box right there with the picture right there, and then you try to like create the framework on the outside, and then you start to put all the insides in together. But without that picture, without seeing the whole picture, it's just a whole bunch of pieces. And sometimes when the Bible is just like, read the Bible, it's like, there's a lot of pieces. You study the Bible, it's a lot of pieces. And, and if you don't have a framework, if you don't see what the big picture is, it's easy to get lost just like sifting through all these little pieces. So to put all the pieces together of the Bible, you got to really see the big picture. And if we're going to go through the books of the Bible, i.e. sort through the individual uh, parts of the Bible, come on in gang, it's okay. The water's fine. All right, if we're going to go through the books of the Bible, we've got to see the big picture. So we've got to deal with the question, what is this book all about? What is the Bible all about? What is the big idea about the Bible? You've got to grab that. And Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, really kind of encapsulates what the Bible is really all about, what God is really doing. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says... I know it's not Christmas, uh, but we'll, we'll read it anyway. For unto us a child is born, because he always existed, but he became a child to us. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, okay, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You want to see in the first part of that verse, you have his first coming, the child, the son. The middle part of that verse, you have his second coming and the millennium. There's a government. And the third part of that verse, you have eternity when the Godhead just goes back into each other and the son and the father just become one again. That's discipleship two stuff. But verse seven, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You say, what's the Bible all about? You want to make a note of this. You want to know this. The Bible is really about the king and his kingdom. 
That is, ladies and gentlemen, the big picture of the Bible. It's about a coming king and his coming kingdom, and a kingdom he's going to establish that is going to continue forever and ever and ever. Now, I know for us, the biggest deal about you in the Bible was getting saved, amen? That's a big deal to us. That's a big deal to you. It should be. But your salvation is not the biggest deal to God. I think Pastor Mel used to say it's only about 2% of the Bible is really talking about how you get saved. You could kind of hold the pages in like between two little fingers that have to do with you getting saved. But your salvation was the only way to get you in on God's big picture. So you had to get saved because God is creating a kingdom and God's design and his big picture is to orchestrate a kingdom with sinless beings like himself that want to love him and be with him. That's the big, big picture. And we're going to get into that king and kingdom a little bit today. And if you don't see the big picture, I just want you to know right now, you will never make sense of your Bible. I'm not saying because I'm saying it tonight, but we're going to talk about tonight. If you don't get this down, and I recommend if you've got like white pages in your Bible, maybe you want to write down what I'm going to write down here, or you want to go back over the lesson and work it into your Bible or work it into your notes. Because if you don't get this down, you can't get past go. If it turn in terms of understanding your Bible, this is the key. This big picture is going to help you start putting where Genesis goes, where Micah goes. Why is there this gap in the Testaments? What about Revelation? Like this big picture, we're constantly going to be referring back to because it's going to help us put the little pieces into the puzzle. So let's get into it tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and then let's get into it tonight. All right, Father, we love you tonight, Lord. We thank you for a book, Lord. We thank you for the Word made flesh that dwelt among us, Lord, and died on the cross, Father. But we also thank you, Lord, for the, for the Word you gave us, Father, the Word in print that is just as soaked in the blood, Lord, is just as sacrificial and is as amazing as you are, Father, because it's Jesus Christ in words. And, Lord, we have some folks here tonight, Lord, and folks watching at home that want to learn the Bible. And Lord, I am not sufficient for these things, Lord. I confess it. I feel like a child and a fool, like just even looking at this, Lord. I feel like I know so little, Lord, and there's so much to learn. But Father, give us ears to hear and an understanding heart, Father. We think of of the upcoming church in the park, Father. We pray, Lord, for the visitors that might come. We pray, Lord, for the right temperature, the right weather, the right spirit. Even when we labor, help us to have the right spirit among ourselves and pray, Lord, that, that, that souls would get saved. I think of even Ashley, Father, if she might come, Father, she might get saved, Father, and others, friends and families. I know people have invited people and they don't even know if they're going to come, Lord, but I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, you might give the increase. Even somebody walking by with a dog or just on a jog, Lord, let them hear something that, that might draw them to Jesus Christ. We think of my son Christian as he goes through this uh, long day tomorrow on his birthday, Father, I pray you just be as kind as you've been. Help uh, help him to get through this last leg, Father. Encourage his heart, Lord. Thank you for him. Thank you for all you've done in him and with him, Lord. I pray you continue to make that soldier out of him, Father. I pray you protect Joe. Help her to be a good testimony to her family as she's with them at that wedding. Lord, we pray for Patty B. Scans, Lord. We pray, Lord, you might give your best answer there, Father. Encourage my sister and Alan and her family and all she does to try to labor with you for you, Father, and the people she's trying to reach with Alan. Lord, I pray that might just continue, Father. And Lord, we pray for Aunt Angela, Father. I pray you'd have mercy on her body, Lord, and help Danielle and Amelia and Andrea and Matt and Joe and those that are watching this, Lord, and Sally and Richie, Lord, family members, Lord. I pray you might just be kind there, Lord, and be merciful and just uh, help us, Lord. Help us tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's start, uh, 
setting up this big picture here, all right? So I'm going to draw this little T-chart because, you know, if you're a teacher, you can't resist the T-chart. And uh, on this side here, we're going to have our Old Testament. And on this side here, we're going to have our New Testament. And we're just going to jot down a few different key ideas, and I'll expound upon them a little bit. And by no means is this exhaustive, but it's really something to help us understand what's going on. So we said that the main idea of the Bible was really the king and his kingdom. And this kingdom that God is setting up kind of has like two aspects to it. And uh, we have to understand this right now, that when we start talking about the Old Testament, uh, we really are focusing on what's called the kingdom of heaven. You'll see that expression in your Bible very often. The Old Testament deals primarily with, and I'm going to generalize a little bit for teaching sake, uh, and the New Testament deals primarily with, oh, I've got to switch colors, got to switch colors or else I'm going to lose it, right? The kingdom of God. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about these two things. That's the first big thing you got to get down. When we're going through our Old Testament, we are dealing primarily with what God is building or what God is trying to establish, which is the kingdom of heaven. And when we're in our New Testament primarily, we're dealing with the kingdom of God. So here's a key word for you to remember. When thinking about the kingdom of heaven, all right, the key word you want to remember is physical, And when thinking about the kingdom of God, the key words you want to remember is spiritual. All right? Why am I saying that? Well, let's talk about the kingdom of heaven. Let's turn to the book of Matthew for a little bit. Matthew chapter 11. And again, like this is like a cheat sheet for your Bible, like a big picture cliff note. I don't know if they still read cliff notes, spark notes, whatever. They just cheat now. I don't know what they do. Um, But the kingdom of heaven... All right, if you're taking notes, I'm just going to write the word physical here, but here's some other words you could jot down. The kingdom of heaven is a physical, literal, visible, political kingdom with a capital at Jerusalem. I will say that again. The kingdom of heaven is a physical, literal visible, meaning you could see it with your eyeballs, they'll go up every year to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles and see Jesus Christ sitting on that throne. It is political, and it's got a capital at Jerusalem. Why is it called the kingdom of heaven? Well, besides what God called it the kingdom of heaven, because heaven is a place, right? That's where the birds fly. That's the first heaven. And out there is where the stars are. That's the second heaven. If you can keep going straight past the great deep up there into the heaven of heavens or the third heaven, that's where God dwells. The heaven is a place, so the kingdom of heaven is about a place. We're not talking about some allegorical fuzzy thing where the leprechauns dance. We're talking about a place that you could see and, 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 and visit. Look at Matthew 11, verse 11. All right, here's a key verse for you. And I'm not going to look at a ton of verses, but a few verses. Matthew 11, 11. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven is about a physical 
place you can fight over. People can try to seize it. People can try to shed blood for it because it's a physical thing that you can conquest and conquer, right? Nobody takes your heart by force, right? Nobody takes that fuzzy feeling by force. But a place can be conquered by force, right? Go to Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at another verse about that. Look at verse 9. Matthew 6, verse 9. Now, this is often called the Lord's Prayer. This is not the Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. Jesus Christ never prayed this prayer. The disciples prayed this prayer. Disciples in the Old Testament that were waiting for a literal, physical kingdom to come. And here's what Jesus told them to pray. Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father, Jesus Christ prayed my Father, but they prayed our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The old Catholics in the room are starting to recite it with me. All right. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Watch this next phrase. In earth as it is in heaven. See what they're praying for? The kingdom of heaven, watch this now. The kingdom of heaven is about a physical place that you can fight over, and it's about the rule of heaven on this place called earth. I want the earth to be ruled as it is ruled in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's why it's called the kingdom of heaven, because God's rule is going to come, not just from heaven, but it's going to come to earth. That's why the Old Testament is so much about wars, right? A lot of fighting in the Old Testament. It's so much about dietary restrictions. What can you eat? What can you not eat? What can you wear? What can you not wear? What's in the wolf? What's not in the wolf, right? All that stuff about the leprosy, you know, watching the wool and the wolf and all this stuff. You don't know who that the dog's out, right? It's about directions for what to do with your beard, right? There's all these physical things because the Old Testament is about a physical kingdom. It's a physical program and a physical economy. So you see a lot of things about physical things. Don't marry this one. Don't dress like that. Don't do this with your hair. Don't put this on your body. Don't put that in your mouth. All this stuff is physical. Now, segue it over. Spiritual. Get the blue marker. Heaven is blue, right? Spiritual, right? Here's some other key words for you. The kingdom of God is a spiritual, invisible kingdom that lives inside the believer. They're not the same. Heaven is not God. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So this kingdom is not about a physical place. This kingdom is about a person, the person of God, ruling and reigning in your heart, doing something inside of you. Let's look at some verses, okay? Luke chapter 17. I'm giving you the bare bone verses. I know some people over there, you go, down, you go deep down there, Miss Lydia. I'm not going to go as deep. So if you took your snorkel, I'm sorry, you could swim at the surface. Luke 17, verse 20. But what I'm hoping is, I'm going to give you the framework, and I'm hoping as you read your Bible and start going through these things, you'll start being able to put pieces together. And I don't have to give you everything, but you'll have a framework where you're like, okay, I kind of know where I'm at now. I'm in the book of Leviticus. Okay, that's why they're talking about 
eating this thing that chews the cud and doesn't chew the cud. Okay, because I'm over here. I'm in a physical kingdom that God's dealing with right now. But in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, this is a key verse for the kingdom of God. He says in Luke 17, 20, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. This kingdom, you can go visit this kingdom in Jerusalem, this kingdom lives inside the believer. Right? He says you can't see it. It's inside the believer. Another key verse for this one is Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. There's so much material, I'm just trying to like distill it. Romans chapter 14, verse number 14. Now, Romans 14, Paul is admonishing and teaching the Christians in the church, don't get so hung up on what kind of meat you eat, whether the meat was offered to idols, this guy thinks he can have the, the pagan burger, this one thinks he can't have the pagan burger, right? You know, they're fighting about it. So in Romans 14, he's helping to correct it. In Romans 14, 14, he says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of, what's the next word? God, God, spiritual, is not meat and drink. Those are physical things. But righteousness, that's spiritual. And peace, that's invisible. And joy, that you can't see in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not about anything physical. The kingdom of heaven, yeah. In the kingdom of heaven, in the Old Testament, God said, God spends chapters in Leviticus. Those are the chapters you read really fast, right? You go like this, the roebuck, the owl, then you go right there. I read three chapters today. Yeah, because he's telling you what to eat, what not to eat. You say, why is God being so meticulous? Because it's an emphasis on the physical. Now he's swings over to the church, which is spiritual. He says, you want to have the burger you bought at Zeus's house of meat? I don't know. You can have it. If your brother's offended by it, don't have it. You know, the meat and the drink is not a big deal. How could he say that? Because we're over here. Got to start to see those right divisions, right? This kingdom was about what to do with your beard, what clothes to wear, going to war and killing people. The kingdom of God is right there in verse 17 about righteousness That's something inside of you in your heart. It's about peace. That's something inside of you in your heart. It's about joy. That's something you feel in your heart. It's about the Holy Ghost. That's the spirit that's supposed to live inside your heart if you're saved. The emphasis is not on a place. It's on the heart. Why? It's a spiritual kingdom. What I just told you right now sets you apart from 99% of Christians everywhere. Not to puff you up, just to show you that sound doctrine is not so popular anymore. Right? So let's keep going now. So let's keep going. So kingdom of heaven physical. Now in the Old Testament, we're going to deal with and God is going to work through the nation of Israel. And in this kingdom of God economy, in this spiritual New Testament economy, God is going to move primarily through the body of Christ or the church, right? The church universal. So there's a different emphasis. Let's look at some verses on that. Right? Let's go to Exodus chapter 4. 
right? Exodus chapter 4. Like I said, I'm just giving you some key words to kind of create a simple little T-chart to keep your head square here about the, what God is doing in the Bible. Again, we're just talking about the big picture. Exodus 4. Now again, why is God focusing on here? I'm just going to write it underneath it. A nation, right? Because God is now dealing with a national program, a political program. So he's establishing a nation. He's working through a nation. He's dealing with a nation, and he's establishing a nation. In Exodus 4.22, God is speaking to, he's getting ready to speak to Pharaoh, and he tells Moses what to say to him. Exodus 4.22, he tells him, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Exodus 4.22. Israel is my son. That's a very important verse. Because that is God talking about Israel as his corporate national son. Different than you. You're a son. Hope, you know, I don't, I don't know who the individual sons are in here and daughters are in here. But when he says Israel is my son, he's saying that nation is my corporate national son. That's why he told them to pray our father, right? Because it was a national corporate program that God was establishing here through the nation of Israel. Why? It's a physical, political kingdom. Did you know that the kingdom of heaven, that expression is only mentioned in the book of Matthew, it's never mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Right. It's only mentioned in the book of Matthew 32 times it's mentioned. Why? Because the book of Matthew has a Jewish audience and portrays Jesus as the king, the coming king. So, of course, when I find a talk about the physical, political kingdom, it's going to be in the book of Matthew. And in the Old Testament, if you wanted to get to God and you really wanted to get to God, you know what you had to do? You had to go through that little nation. You had to either get close to a Jew, you had to befriend the Israelites, you might have had to become a proselyte and actually convert to Judaism. If you really wanted to know the true God, you had to get to that little nation Israel. Now, let's go the other way. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, in our New Testament program, in our Kingdom of God program, we are not dealing with nations anymore. We are not dealing with politics anymore. Preach, brother, preach. Right? We are dealing with individuals now. We're dealing with the heart now. We're dealing with you, and we're dealing with you, and we're dealing with you, and God's dealing not on a national basis anymore. He's dealing on an individual basis now. And when God talks about His sons now, He's talking about people that are part of His church, that have been put into that spiritual organism called the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.12 is a key verse about that. 1 Corinthians 12.12, the Bible says, For as the body, he's speaking of the body of Christ, is one and hath many members. I'm looking at a bunch of them now, right? Some of you are feet, some of you are mouths, some of you are toes, some of you are eyeballs, right? Everybody's got a different role, a different part, and a different function to play. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ, right? You got a lot of parts of your physical body. He says you got a lot of parts of the spiritual body. For by one spirit, hello, are we all baptized into one body? Remember, that includes the guy in chapter 5 that was messing around with his 
stepmom, right? For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. What is God doing now? He's taken uh, some Spanish people over here, some Italian wops over here, some Jewish people over here, some, you know, Norwegians, whatever we got over here. Dutch, right? Some Dutch brethren, right? He's taking people out of every nation. He's not respecting persons anymore. He's just taking people and he's putting them in one body. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't see Irish. He doesn't see Italian. He doesn't see Jewish. He sees Christ. Because you've been baptized into that one body. You've been put into a spiritual organism. That's what God's doing now. Look at chapter 4. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. I'm giving you the skeleton on the board, and I'm putting a little bit of flesh on the bones. Not much, but just a little bit for you to digest and have a little bit of an outline here. There's many other verses we can go to. Ephesians 4 is talking about this body, and he says in Ephesians 4.12 that he gave the church, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. That means in the church, I'm not supposed to be picketing the latest political movement. I'm supposed to be helping Christians grow into Christ. Verse 13, till we all, we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, mature unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Over here, we're dealing with a corporate national son. Over here, we're talking about individual sons that have been put into this collective body, this spirit spiritual, invisible kingdom that God is building on the inside. The kingdom of heaven is never mentioned by the Apostle Paul in any of his writings to the church because the church in this dispensation has nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven. We're not bringing in a physical kingdom. We are concerned with the spiritual kingdom. Paul only mentions the kingdom of God, and he does it eight times. Believe that, because it's a new beginning God was doing. Eight times he speaks about the kingdom of God. Now, just like in the Old Testament, if you wanted to get to God, you had to go through a nation. Guess what? If you want to get to God now, you've got to go through his church. You don't get through political party. You don't get through like your best efforts. You get to God now and you want to find out what God is doing. You got to find his church and become a part of his church and learn what God is doing. Different, different program. All right, let's keep going. All right, go to Genesis chapter 12. All right, Genesis chapter 12. Let me give you another key word. Genesis chapter 12. In our Old Testament, our focus is the kingdom of heaven right? Physical kingdom through the nation of Israel that has physical blessings in earthly places. The Jew is going to inherit the earth. And the kingdom of heaven is about physical blessings in earthly places. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Let's go back to the patriarch Abram, who becomes Abraham, who is that man that God chooses to start becoming the family from which he will take the nation of Israel out. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, he's making a covenant with Abram, the Abrahamic covenant, or sometimes called the Abrahamic covenant. 
Uh, and he says in Genesis 12:1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, again it's physical, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Do you start to see the practical applications of some of these differences? You understand the kingdom of God, you can move to Bongo Bongo land, that's not going to solve your problems. Because a change in physical location doesn't necessarily change you because it's all about your heart right now. You can go live in a cave without cable, without internet, without anything, and still be the most wicked sinner in your block or whatever it is because everything is about the heart now. But here he tells Abram, get up from Ur of the Chaldees and go to a place that I tell you to go because God's agenda here is about a physical place that he's building and establishing. Keep reading with me. That was a tangent. All right. And I will make of thee verse 2, a great nation. See that? And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jump to verse number 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed will I give this L-A-N-D, this land that you could put your feet on, that you could measure. Unto thee and to thy seed I will give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Abram's descendants were promised land, physical blessings in earthly places. And it was going to be future. They were looking forward to it. See the tense? Verse number 7, he says, unto thy seed will I give this lamb. That's future. Verse number 3, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So they were looking forward to this physical blessing in earthly places that they were going to get. What is the, uh, let's not go to the church yet. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 13, you could write down. It says about Abraham that he should inherit the world, right? The world was going to be his. Now, think about this. Think about how botched up people get and how they approach the Bible. And the Bible is dangerous. It's dynamite. If you don't know how to handle it, right? There's some power tools that Eli probably knows how to handle that I know how to handle. I handle some of his framing guns. I'm probably going to shoot a hole in my foot and like kill my neighbor, right? But the Bible is far more dangerous than a pneumatic drill or something like that, right? The Bible is a dangerous book if you don't understand how to rightly divide it. You can do a lot of damage with it because you just start pulling things from here. Remember the Old Testament is physical. Earthly blessings. Physical blessings in earthly places. That's why, and you could write these down or listen to the recording and jot them down. Exodus 15, 16, God promised Moses, I'll put none of these diseases upon you, right? He told them in the Old Testament when they were going to get earthly blessings, physical blessings in earthly places, he tells Moses, I'm not going to make you sick like I make all the Egyptians sick. If you got sick in the Old Testament, you got leprosy in the Old Testament, that was God removing His favor from you. He told uh, Moses in Deuteronomy to tell the people in chapter 8, 18 of Deuteronomy, I'm the one that gives you power to get wealth. God told the nation of Israel, I'm going to make you prosperous, physically prosperous. I'm going to show you how to make money. And all down through history, the Jew has been hated because wherever the Jew goes, the Jew can make money. Right? That's just a blessing. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, the Lord promised the nation of Israel, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. 
Now, we appropriate those spiritually, and we claim those spiritually, but doctrinally, those are promises to a nation. Some of you have gotten sick. Some of you may get sick. Does that mean you're out of the favor with God? Some of you are going to reach pretty low into your pocket. You're not going to be just overflowing with abundance. Does that mean God's not smiling on you? I read an article today about a Nigerian Christian who was stoned to death. Today, in 2022, while the police stood and watched, he was stoned for supposed blasphemy, right? What about the weapons formed against him not prospering? God dropped the promise on him? No, because he's not a part of that program. How many martyrs? You ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Martyrs, Mirror, The Trail of Blood? Read some of those books. Where was the no weapon formed against thee shall prosper when some of these guys were burnt at the stake and put on the rack and fed to hogs? Man, God must have been like, where are you, God? No, different program. Old Testament. When that Jew walked with God in the Old Testament, nobody could touch him. The Edomites, the Amalekites, the Hittites, they trembled because when they walked in fellowship with God, they were victorious. Joshua never lost a battle. One of the greatest military people in the history of the world, Joshua, right? Picture of Christ. Now, all of this is happening on earth, earthly places, physical blessings in earthly places to a literal nation waiting for a physical kingdom of heaven to be established on planet earth. You getting it yet? You seeing it? All right, flip it over now. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, no, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at the church now. Let's look at the kingdom of God. Let's look at the flip side of this. Ephesians chapter 1. You see how you got to get your Bible straight? If you don't get your Bible straight, you just sift through a pile of mush and hope you find a nice devotion for the day. Right? Ephesians 1, where you play that little Russian roulette, you're just going to flip your Bible open and say, uh, I picked this verse, you know, and you don't know what it says. Right? Uh, Ephesians 1, uh, look at verse 3. Now he's speaking to a church, right? This is a church epistle. Notice how the tone and the tenor of everything is different. He says in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, Christians, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In the Old Testament, it was about physical blessings in earthly places promised to Israel, but the church enjoys spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Notice here, they were all looking forward to them. Do you notice? Well, I'll tell you. The tense here is past tense. He hath blessed us. In Christ, you've already got all the goods. You've already got all the blessings. You've already got all the access. You've already got the victory. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We're not looking forward. We're looking backward and realize, wow, look what we all got the moment we got saved. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. The church... There's there's emblems in the Bible, right? A flame is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. Water typifies the Word of God sometimes. The church is typified as the moon. The moon has no contact with the earth, right? We have no, our inheritance is not down here. We are not inheriting the earth, but the Jew will inherit the earth. We're not inheriting the earth. Our inheritance is up there. It's a little different, a little different thing. So the church 
is not promised health. We pray for it, and the Lord answers it. The Lord blesses us with it. But we're not promised health like a Jew was in the Old Testament economy. The church is not promised wealth. How come there's some of these cults? We saw some cults at the fair, right? We went to uh, this fair for a little while before it rained on Saturday, and we had the Mormons across the street from us. And you know what? The Mormons are loaded. They got a temple on Columbus Circle, man. You know what real estate goes for in Times Square? You know, right? What are we? God's people are hiding in caves. God's people are trying to rub some nickels together to buy tracks and support missionaries. Say, how does that work, God? Because he didn't promise you wealth down here. In fact, let's go to 2 Corinthians 11. Who's our pattern? The Apostle Paul. Paul said, you want to see what the church is going to be like, what the church's life is going to be like? Look at my life. My life is a pattern, a model. Let's see if Paul was healthy, wealthy, and wise, shall we? 2 Corinthians 11, let's look at verse 21. I know this is not popular for the American in you, but this is the Bible that we're supposed to follow, right? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 21. Paul's going to go on a little, Paul's going to throw a fit right here. You know, preachers, they say throw a fit. He's going to speak as a fool. He's like, indulge me a little bit. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-one. Now remember who he's talking to. What's the name of this book? Corinthians. The Corinthians were carnal. Now, he's correcting them in the second book. They're a little better in the second book. But they were carnal and cosmopolitan and really into their stuff and their gifts and their prosperity. And he says to them in 1121, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. The Corinthians did not accept Paul's apostleship. A lot of times he had to justify himself. Like, I'm an apostle. If you read 1 Corinthians 9, he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? You know, have I not seen the Lord? Right? He's saying like, hey, I'm as good as Peter. And he keeps going here. Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, that's a whip across his back, above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, that's at Lystra. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, floating on a piece of wood probably, in the water somewhere. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, the Jews hunted him. In perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, he prayed a lot, in hunger and thirst... In fastings often, we don't do that as Christians. In cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. And he says, you want to see how bad it got? In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. 
talk about no weapon that is formed against him. Keep reading. Read chapter 12, verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. He says, I shouldn't really be doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, he's going to speak about himself in the third person here, so he doesn't boast too much. He's going to say, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. So Paul's saying, I got caught up to the third heaven one day. How that he caught up to the third heaven into paradise, verse 4, and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. So God said, Paul, just so you don't get too high in your horse, I had to humble you a little bit and give you some kind of physical sickness or some kind of ailment that would keep you humble and keep you low and not keep you so full of yourself, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glory, and ye have compelled me. I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Paul's like, I had to go on this little diatribe just to remind you of who I am. I didn't want to have to do this, but I had to do it. But there is the greatest Christian that ever lived, and probably ever will live. And he died alone, sick, with only his doctor next to him in a Roman prison. So much for prosperity. So much for none of these diseases will I put upon you. So much for healthy, wealthy, and wise, Paul. No, Paul says, I had infirmities, I had weaknesses, I had perils. You know where the blessings are here for the Jew? On earth. You know where the blessings are for the Christian? In Christ. Got to rightly divide your book. Now go to Psalm 106. I got two more quick ones for you, and then we'll be done. Right? Making any sense so far? All right. Let's talk about salvation now. Obviously, when you go into the Old Testament and you see the word saved... It's not saved the way you were saved, because God's talking here about a national corporate deliverance, right? Over here, he's talking about an individual forgiveness of sins. It's a whole different saved, but let's just talk about how somebody stayed right with God in the Old Testament. Psalm 106. That's what I told you, right? Psalm 106? Good, I'm glad somebody's paying attention, right? Because I don't even know what's going on. Psalm 106. In the Old Testament, under that Jewish economy... Guess what? Salvation, and you stayed in a right relationship and standing with God by works. In the New Testament, in this economy, you stay in a right relationship and get your sins forgiven by grace through faith. Let's look at Psalm 106. You know what you need to stay in a right relationship with God? You need righteousness. 
The Bible says in Proverbs, righteousness delivereth from death. If you want to be spared God's judgment, you need righteousness. How'd you get it in the Old Testament? Well, look at Psalm 106. I'll show you that it was by works, not grace through faith. Psalm 106, verse number 26, 28, I'm sorry. Bible's talking about Israel. It's talking about the exploits of Israel. It's referring back to the book of Numbers, chapter, like, I think 24, 25, 26, around, I think 25, when they would join themselves to bear Baal Peor, when they got, you know, mingled themselves with these pagan nations. And it says that in Psalm 106, 28, they joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. You find that narrative in Numbers 25. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague breaking upon them. God starts killing them. They're hooking up with the women. They're doing all kinds of evil things. And God starts smiting them. And in verse number 30, Then stood up Phinehas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. What did he do? He runs in there and he basically kills this couple, this person that had lain with one of these women. He kills them and the woman kills them and says this was wicked stuff. And you know what? God saw that work and he blessed him for it. Look at verse number 31. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. Phinehas' work counted for righteousness. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't recognize Jesus as his personal Savior. He didn't know who Jesus was. What did he do? He saw sin. God said, put a stop to it. He stood up and he stopped the plague and he said, I'm going to count that for righteousness. Phinehas, but go to Romans chapter 4. Want to see a contrast? Romans chapter 4. Now we're in the book of Romans, right? We're in Pauline epistles. We're in church epistles, man. We're in the stuff that we're supposed to be reading. And in Romans chapter 4, verse number 4, the Bible says this. What a contrast. Now, words like now and but are really important in the Bible. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. God's saying now, I don't want you working for salvation because then God would be in debt to you. What does he say in verse 5? But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. In the Old Testament, Phinehas' works counted for righteousness. In the New Testament, under the Pauline epistles, somebody's faith is counted for righteousness. Things that are different are not the same. That's rightly dividing the word of truth. That's a different kingdom with a different focus and a different economy. You know, there's a, you want to write this verse down, Habakkuk chapter 2. I'd have you turn there, but it would take too long and the pages are probably stuck together. But Habakkuk chapter 2 has a little phrase that says, the just shall live by his faith. Old Testament, you lived by your faith, your faithfulness, your endurance, your continuing. See, it was always faith and it was always grace. But the object of that faith was different. In the Old Testament, God said, you believe me, you love me, you trust me, bring a sacrifice. Do a good work. You know, keep this feast. His faith is counted for righteousness. In the New Testament, you look at Romans 1.17. This is where Paul's going to quote Habakkuk, and he's going to quote it, and he's going to change the word. 
In the Old Testament, he says, the just shall live by his faith. Your faith, your faith, your faith, my faith, her faith, everybody's faith, faith. Oh, man. Right, That's going to be the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in the church economy, he says at the end of the verse, right? Read it. What does it say? Start it for me. The just shall live by faith because you're not a part of it anymore. It's Christ's faith. It's Christ's steadfastness. It's Christ's sacrifice. It's Christ's unwavering devotion. It's Christ now. You're not a part of this anymore. You put your faith in His faith. You believed in Him and got into Christ, and then Christ took you all the way. It's a change. You say, why was this so much about works? Why was this so much about you doing things? Because this was a lot about sight. You saw things in the Old Testament. You saw signs. You saw wonders. You saw miracles. You saw people raised from the dead. You saw locusts come and ravage a field. You saw miracles. You saw a cloudy pillar. You saw the water parted. And in the Old Testament, salvation was by works because there was an element of sight involved. In the New Testament, the Bible says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So it's all of grace that it might be by faith. Because you've got nothing to see. You've got a book that you can trust. Right? That's a big change. Now, the last point. Here's my last thing. Okay? Kingdom of heaven is a physical, literal, political kingdom through the nation of Israel with physical blessings in earthly places where salvations were mainly by works because there was an element of sight. But this kingdom right now, I just want to point out to you, is absent. This is not available right now. This kingdom is available. That's what God's doing right now. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. All right? Genesis chapter 1. All right? Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 talks about the first man, Adam. You know, Adam was supposed to be a king over both of these kingdoms. He was supposed to be king over the physical and a king over the spiritual. Genesis 1, verse 26. I'll show you if you look at it. Let's read 26 to 28. 26 to 28. And God said, let us make man in our image. That's the spiritual, by the way. After our likeness. That's the physical, by the way. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. You'll notice right there that the first Adam had dominion. He was supposed to rule over all the stuff, over the birds, and the trees, and the bees, and the fish, and the sea, and the animals. Adam was supposed to be a king over the physical earth, this place called the earth. And he was supposed to be a king over the spiritual as well. Because it says he had the image. Now, what happens to the physical? Well, we know what happens to Adam. He messes up, right? And he loses the crown. And he drops the ball. And so he loses some of this dominion, and it carries on to somebody else. But I want you to notice, go to Jeremiah chapter 22. But that kingdom of heaven didn't disappear yet. It went to Noah. Then it went to Abram. 
Then I went to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua, Samuel, then into David. It continues on and on. It keeps going into all these people. And finally, it gets to a point where Israel gets so wicked and gets so evil and gets so turned away from God. God says, that's enough. I've had it. I'm taking this kingdom away from you, Israel. I'm taking this kingdom away from you. Jeremiah 22 is one verse I could give you among many. But Jeremiah 22, verse 28, is where I'm going to give you here. Uh, And as we go through the books, we'll trace that a little more about the kingdom. But I'm just giving you that quick little drive-by now. Jeremiah 22, verse number 28, the Bible's, he gets up to this one king named Coniah. His name was Jeconiah. Now he's calling him Coniah because he takes the prefix away from his name, by the way. The prefix Jah meant God. And he says, don't even call this guy Jeconiah anymore. Let's just call him Coniah because I don't want to have anything to do with this knucklehead anymore. And in, I, in Jeremiah twenty two twenty eight, he says, is this man Coniah a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not? Because they were getting carried into Babylon, people. Around 721 BC, the Assyrians come in, and they carry the northern tribes away, and they ransack the north. And the southern tribes, the nation of Judah, is still there till about 606 BC. That's what the historians say. That's the date they put on. I'm not going to argue about the date. I'll just go with it. Around 606 BC, old Nebuchadnezzar, God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. He says, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I need you to be my hammer. I need you to go smack these people. And God sends Nebuchadnezzar down there to punish this nation and carry them away and help them lose their physical blessings and their physical kingdom on earth. Jeremiah, keep reading. 29. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Now they threw a few other kings up after that, but God didn't recognize those kings. God says with Jeconiah, I'm done. And the kingdom of heaven is done. And the kingdom of heaven goes into mystery form and is lost. And you know what God starts to usher in now? The times of the Gentiles. When the Jews will be subject to Gentile rule and Gentile dominion, Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, Rome, and they would be the ones that would be ruling the earth, not the nation of Israel anymore. Do you remember when Solomon was king? They came from far and wide to see him. He was the greatest man on the earth. He was the greatest ruler on the earth. He had dominion. Not anymore. Sin cost him. You know what happens? Go to Matthew chapter 4. So then, the kingdom of heaven is gone. In Matthew chapter 4, another Adam shows up. Amen. The last Adam shows Amen. up. You know what he offers that nation again? He offers them the kingdom of heaven. Right. Matthew chapter 4, because Jesus Christ, remember the first Adam was going to be king over both kingdoms, and he blew it. The last Adam is going to be king over both kingdoms. Right. He's not going to blow it. And he shows up there preaching on those streets of Jerusalem. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 17, watch what he says. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if that little nation had received Jesus Christ, they would have had the tribulation. They would have gone right into the millennium. And we might be sitting in eternity right now. If they had received him. 
But we know the story. They didn't. And the kingdom of heaven was lost. And the kingdom of heaven will not be established on the earth until the king comes back. The rightful king comes back and he establishes that kingdom of heaven on the earth. That millennial reign will be that day of the Lord, that 1,000 years of the right king sitting on the right throne in Jerusalem and ruling the world in righteousness. In earth as it is in heaven. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But Adam messed up. He lost that kingdom of heaven. You know, keeps going on and on. But he loses something spiritual also. See, Adam had an image, right? That was the image of God himself on Adam. And when he sins against God, you know what happens? He loses the image. And that image is gone. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all those other ones that I want to try to make. No, I could do it, but I don't want to subject you to it because my pride is going to get puffed. Right? All that stuff, there is no image of God. The image is gone until the image shows up. And when Jesus Christ is walking the earth, He's the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God. And man loses the image until the image returns. And right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, there's many other verses we can go to this, but let's just read this one. 2 Corinthians, we're almost done here, hang in there. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 3, the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. See, because now it's inside the heart, right? The mind. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Colossians 1.15 calls Jesus Christ the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 calls him the express image of his person. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So go to Mark chapter 1. So Jesus Christ starts walking around the streets, you know, finishes His 30 years of carpentry, picks all the splinters out of His hands, and He starts preaching. You know what? Matthew, we read before, He told people, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in Mark chapter 1, Jesus Christ shows up, and in Mark chapter 1, verse number 15, He says something similar, but not the same. It says, uh, let's take over 14. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Hello. Saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. When Jesus Christ showed up, he was offering them both kingdoms. The right king is here. You can get the physical kingdom, you can get the spiritual kingdom. I'm here. I'm the king over both kingdoms. In one place he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In one place he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Because the last Adam was going to be the rightful king over both kingdoms. Is that a contradiction? No. That's rightly dividing the word of truth. He's the king over both kingdoms. And he's offering them both. Now they rejected him. And the kingdom of God came to you. Thank you, Lord. And you're in the spiritual, invisible kingdom now. But you're not in this one. We're not political. 
We're not setting up a kingdom on earth with castles and buildings and prosperity. That's not our agenda. That's not our goal. Finish with me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33. You know what Israel did? Learn a lesson. You know what Israel was looking for when Jesus Christ showed up? Guess which kingdom they were looking for? They were looking for this one. Oh, they wanted the land, man. They wanted the Roman shackles to be broken. They wanted to be the head and not the tail. They wanted that physical, literal kingdom. They wanted the, you know, the throne of David to be theirs again. They wanted to be ruling and reigning on the earth. But God said, remember my plan? That's right. I want a kingdom full of sinless beings like myself. So he said, you get to this one by going through this one. Amen. you got to go through the righteous kingdom to get the physical kingdom. That'll preach, right? All the blessing, all the blessings you want down here, you gotta get righteousness first. And in Matthew 6:33, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, which is his constitution of the kingdom, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. God says, if you go after this one. And all these things shall be added unto you. That's a nice devotional verse. Hey, if I love God first, I'll get that thing I wanted. But that's not what that verse really means. That's a message to Israel. If you went through the righteous kingdom, Israel, you would have gotten the land, dummy. But they didn't want the righteous king, and they lost everything. You see the big picture? That's the big picture. And if you don't see the big picture, you will never put the books of the Bible together. It would be like me dumping the puzzle pieces on your table, taking the box with me and saying, good luck, (laughs) go get them. And you'll be sitting there for the next 150 years while you rot and turn to dust trying to find the next corner to put your puzzle together. You need to refer to the big picture because 2 Timothy 2.15 is a familiar verse, right? The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you really want to study your Bible and learn your Bible, which I think that's why you're sitting here sweating, right? You want to learn your Bible, you got to get the right divisions. And the biggest one to get is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. If you mess that up, you make a mess of your Bible and you might hurt somebody. You might prioritize the wrong things. You might start chasing the physical instead of the spiritual. You might think it's all about prosperity, big cathedrals and big things where you could smile and say, I just love you. Right? Yeah. Right? You just do these big, that, that's, there's some people out there. You'll never get sick. You'll never have a worry. Just God's best now. No, God's best is later. Right now, you just got to endure a little bit, right? You get all messed up with those things. A lot of Christians get messed up because they're thinking, well, I'm supposed to be here. No, 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 no. You know, every cult is here. Catholic Church, they're here. They're trying to bring a physical kingdom to the earth. They think they got a little square over there in uh, Vatican City, and they want to expand it. They think that's what they got. If that offended you at home, I'm sorry. All right? um, Mormons, JWs, right? just name the cult. They're all here. They can't rightly divide. They're all trying to bring in a physical, literal kingdom. God says, no, we're not, that's not the program right now. That's not what I'm doing right now. You'll pursue the wrong kingdom. Too many Christians today are getting way too into politics getting way too into physical things, getting way too into like who's going to save us. 
guess what? Donald Trump isn't going to save us, and Joe Biden is definitely not going to save us. I mean, I hope that they put somebody in there that's halfway decent and follows biblical principles. I don't say not to vote or anything like that, but my salvation is not coming from Pennsylvania Avenue. My salvation is coming from, you know, Jesus Christ, right? So, and a lot of, I'm not saying it's bad to sometimes lobby things and put pressure on centers. That's all good in the hood. I get that. Do that sometimes, you know, at the local level. Try to squeeze your school districts so they don't bring that filthy, abominable nonsense that they're teaching in schools right now. I'm all for that, but that's not our main banner. My main banner is not to go protest something. My main banner is to mature as a Christian and grow in grace. Right? Your passion will be wrong. You know, you get these kingdoms messed up, you start looking for the blessings here. You start looking for the prosperity here. You want to get all your chips now and cash in now. God says, no, you build them up and you cash them in later. If you get your Bible wrong, you get everything wrong. And your path to God will be wrong. How many people are living in an Old Testament economy thinking their works will get them justified with God? You're in the wrong side of the Bible, man. God says it's Christ's work that gets you right now, not your work. You see how important it is to rightly divide? So over the next few weeks, and, and it's going to take at least a year, and we'll plug in some question and answer times as well, because we'll sort through all the pieces, but as we're sorting through the pieces, we can't lose sight of the big picture. Because if you lose sight of the big picture, you're not going to see how the pieces fit together. Let's have a word of prayer and thank you for your kind attention for being here tonight. And uh, amen.